Keith Major Show. All the people know. Straight from Hawaii, for all you need for sure. For news and local events, music and much more. With the Keith Major Show, we give you so much more. Keith Major Show. Yo, yo. Welcome to the Keith Major Show. Today is uh, Monday, December 2nd, right after the Thanksgiving weekend. So I hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving. Everybody's all full of turkey. Um, we're past Black Friday, and today was Cyber Monday. A lot of good football games this weekend, but most importantly, people got to spend time with their families. Um, because that's what Thanksgiving is really all about and being thankful for everything that you have and maybe even things that you don't quite yet have or things that you don't have at all. Just got to be thankful. So, sure, uh, everybody cooked big old turkeys. Me, I, I actually smoked two hams. Um, the wife waited until like literally the night before to tell me she needed two smoked hams. Um, for Thanksgiving for a potluck for a friend. So I got up at four in the morning and I uh, lit the grill up and got my wood and I smoked two hands. It turned out okay, I think. Um, I didn't hear any complaints. So uh, right now we are in the middle of Monday night football. I don't have a monitor in front of me. So somebody, uh, Call into the show or text me and tell me what the score is. I think the Sea Chickens are playing the Vikings right now. Um, start of another work week. Um, and I'm doing another show. So we got a lot lined up. Got some music. Got a very good interview. Got a, a judge this time is going to talk to us about policing and the law and courts. Um, they're going to give us some great information on that. So stay tuned. That's at the end of the show. Her name is Judge Yvette Ayala. Um, she's out in Nevada right now by way of San Diego and by way of Richmond. She used to be in Richmond, I think, Richmond, Virginia. So let me know. Text me. Once again, welcome to the Keith Major Show. Um, and for those that are just joining me, I started my own podcast because, man, Facebook was giving me a time. And I was um, winding up in Facebook jail quite a bit. So I said, you know what? The end of a story depends on the storyteller. So I am going to tell my own narrative. Um, and I am not going to be censored and have people protesting me and throwing me in Facebook jail, so this is the avenue that I decided. Um, just like last time, if you have comments, critiques, criticisms, please send them to me. You can comment uh, directly on the show when I send the link out. You can text me, tweet me, um, at iPhone Q. You can Instagram me, also at iPhone Q there. So email me, however you want to get at me. Just let me know. And so, enjoy the show. We'll be right back. Yeah, 
reminisce, I reminisce. Shall I say think back yeah. 22 years ago to keep it on track With this for a spell or shall I say think back yeah. 22 years ago to keep it on track With this for a spell or shall I say think back yeah. 22 years ago to keep it on track With this for a spell or shall I say think back yeah. 22 years ago to keep it on track From K-Bay, where the players play It's DJ Black Digital Now I suppose you the little black boy grows Younger than my mama But I really got beatings with the girl of drama In single parenthood there I stood By the time she was 21 had another one This one's a girl Let's name a Pam Same father as the first but you don't give a damn Irresponsible plain not thinking Papa said chill but the brother keep winking Still he rolls down you would tear out your hide On your side while the baby make us slide But mama got wise to the game The youngest of five kids hun here it is After 10 years without no spouse Mama's getting married in the house. Listen, positive over negative for the woman a master. Mother Queen's rise in the chapter. Deja vu, tell you what I'm gonna do when they reminisce over you, my God. Don't talk a lot, she turned away, no play I said okay, you don't really look good I hope you have a bad day Sat back, relaxed, though the vibe was tight I was thinking of the rhymes I wrote last night Next stop was mine, a familiar scene I was meeting my friend, killer Ben Before green, where the girls are real They tell you how they feel, if you're soft, you're soft But if you're hard like steel See, I don't bend, and I won't rust And I don't break, and I won't bust Stomped up the street, and did I hear a treat? Hard high heels tapping on the concrete. I took a peek and was the girl from the train behind me. Did she live in the area? Was she trying to find me? Hmm. I didn't want to play myself out. I played it all. Stopped then I bought again a scout. Now was she shy? She didn't walk by. She came in the store and she even said hi. Curiosity at a high velocity. Maybe possibly she had the hot for me. I said if we're playing games then we're going to play mine. I'm going to lay the rules because it ain't much time. If you hide your feelings it ain't hard to find. I want to know what's on your mind. Bye. 
Entertainment, all types of news, news you didn't even want to hear about news. Ladies and gentlemen, Keith Major reads the news. Okay, okay, what do we got in the news today? All right, first up, national news. Kamala Harris. Hmm. Kamala Harris's uh, campaign is not doing too well right now. Um, you know, originally, I think a few weeks ago, she had announced widespread layoffs, and currently, she's the only 2020 Democrat in the vast field of Democrats um, that's fallen hard out of the top tier of candidates. She's not polling too well right now. Um, she's proven to me personally, I haven't seen any consistency. Um, and Kamala Harris's messages, and there were some things that I was hoping that she would address that I never saw uh, addressed. But concerns from her staff is that there's 90 days until Iowa, and there's still no real plan of attack for the Kamala Harris campaign. Um, in general, the vast field of 2020 Democrats has been defined by um, you know, turbulence. There's a lot of people talking about a lot of things. Or, I don't know. The debates are crazy. I, I got to the point where um, I kind of have, have tuned out of them, waiting for this vast field of people to get whittled down to a, a usable number. Um, so I kind of haven't really been paying attention. Um, you know, there's other people that have dropped out, and there's even people just now getting in the race. Um, but for Kamala Harris, the shock is that, you know, she kind of came out of the blocks with gangbusters. Um, a lot of charisma. People were comparing her, you know, on stage charisma to Barack Obama. And her star has kind of fizzled out and fallen. Um, and her advisors are starting to point the finger directly at Ms. Harris herself, which is not good. Um, and in interviews... Several of her staffers have criticized her um, for her inconsistency. Remember, she went on the attack with, with Joe Biden, and then she kind of backed off of that. Um, so she hasn't really stayed course, and I haven't really figured out, okay, what what is her platform? Um, and she hasn't really, you know, there's this, this kind of civil war going on within the Democrats, and she has straddled the fence and has not pick which camp she's in. Um, she hasn't been in one side or the other. Um, some people have an issue with that this late 
into the, the campaign. Um, I did not realize this, but Kamala Harris's campaign chairwoman is also her sister, um, Miss Maya Harris, and there are those who think that that too is part of the problem. Um, and then just recently, one of Miss Harris's top aides resigned and uh, went out in open media and gave a not so flattering assessment about the campaign. Published her resignation letter, um, declaring that she has never seen an organization treated staff so poorly. I didn't realize this, but Ms. Harris had asked some of her staffers to go to other states to set up other state offices. Well, those people packed up and permanently moved to other locations to support Ms. Harris's campaign, and then they got laid off. So that's uh, that's not good at all. Um, that lady's name that resigned, her name is Kelly Mellenbacher, um, and she sent her resignation letter to the New York Times and they published it. Um, and her statement to the press was, while I still believe that Senator Harris is the strongest candidate to win in the general election in 2020, I no longer have confidence in our campaign or its leadership in that ladies and gentlemen, is a pretty scathing indictment. And rubbing salt in the wounds, Miss Mellenbacher has since joined the campaign um, of Michael Bloomberg, former New York City mayor. Um, Ms. Harris was polling as high as 15% nationally, and now she is down to 3%. Not good. So let's see if uh, Miss Harris can get it back together. A lot of good college football on Saturday. Did anybody watch Ohio State, Michigan? Not much of a rivalry game because it seems like Ohio State has pretty consistently beat Michigan down as of late. My eyeball test tells me there's quite a talent gap. Um, at no point in that game did I think Michigan had a chance. Um, they're just not ready. And of course, Ohio State is looking at trying to win a national championship. So they got bigger fish to fry than old, lowly old Michigan. Uh, J.K. Dobbins ran for four touchdowns. Justin Fields threw for four touchdown passes um, in a route of uh, Michigan 56-27. And of note, I'm a big Justin Fields fan. For you SEC guys, remember that Justin Fields uh, was a quarterback at Georgia and could never get the starting job. So he withdrew from Georgia and transferred to Ohio State. And now he's in the running. Um, probably will be a Heisman Trophy finalist and definitely looking at sealing the uh, championship here at the end of the season so um kudos to the buckeyes they're 12 and 0 9 and 0 in the big 10 um in the number one right now in the college football polls so good for them um in pro football the game of the week i think was the ravens versus the 49ers now the thing i wanted to see about the ravens was could they play a tough team and could the Ravens win a game if Lamar Jackson wasn't going crazy and lighting it up? And I got both those things 
in one game against the 49ers. Stout defense on both sides. Um, and the Ravens pulled it out, and they're now 10-2. Uh, um, the defenses didn't play well, but they played well against each other. A big driving factor that was the rain and the weather. Sloppy tackling. Um, I think I saw one guy break like 15 tackles on one play and score a touchdown. And for the first time, I think in a while, the Ravens allowed a touchdown on the opening drive. Um, but that was pretty much it. And it was, I think, pretty much Ravens in control after that. Um, to show you how tough this game was defensively, that last drive before the uh, field goal, the Ravens only went 34 yards, and it took over six minutes to drive that 34 yards. Tough game defensively. 49ers are a good team, and if you hadn't figured it out by now, the Ravens are the real deal. Uh, business news. Black Friday, $7.4 billion in online sales. Um, this year's Black Friday was the biggest ever for online sales. Um, and of note, fewer people hit the stores. So fewer people spent more money. I guess maybe their pockets are fat from, you know, the Dow Jones being at record levels right now. Um, so there's $7.4 in transactions from phones, computers, and tablets. I think that number's kind of skewed because when you say... Black Friday, I'm thinking just store sales. But they count a lot of other stuff, so there we go. Um, so the numbers are provided by Adobe Analytics, and they measure the sales at 80 of the top 100 online stores. And that's how they compute the numbers, the estimates for Cyber Monday, $9.4 billion. That's a lot of money. 61% um, of the traffic is uh, online. 39% is actually in the stores. That's falling. Um, I don't see how you Black Friday people do it. Me, I discovered this thing called the internet. And I do all my shopping from the comfort of my own home. Sitting on my couch. But for you that brave that pandemonium and chaos hey good on you um weather for my people in the central states i think in the northeast we got winter storm ezekiel which is now a uh what do we call this thing we call it a, a oh a winter bomb winter cyclone oh bomb cyclone had to look that one up uh, so cold weather, blizzard conditions out in the Midwest, in the Plain States, California is going to get some, some cold weather, and then there'll be some uh, East Coast, coastal activity um, later in the week as this thing blows from west to east, going out to sea. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we have in the news. Stay tuned. Let's take a music break, and then we'll come back with an interview from Judge Yvette Ayala. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to The Keith Major Show.
up, Colonel Loud? It's your OG short dog in the house. Say it ain't so. It's California, man. The best weed. Yeah. The baddest beer. Beautiful sunsets. Always. Better get you one of these, man, and have some fun, boy. <laughs> what? You're listening to the sounds of DJ Black Digital. Make some noise. You know your boy always got something to smoke. I do the peace sign when I see my folks. 580 to the 99 to the 5. On my way to LA and I'm getting high. Blowing Bubba Kush from Santa Rosa. Late night in Hollywood, I'm in Boston. No, in the 80s it was folks and trues. That's the vote at the lake straight rolling through. And when I moved to the A, I brought the West with me. We had the whole town blowing like a big chimney. Born in LA, got the game from the bay. Like the city where I stay Oakland, shout out to San Juan, Frisco It's short dog, your pimp folks
listening to the sounds of DJ Black Digital. Make some noise! Take it slow, watch the smoke we blow. Bring California swing and this thing for show. Well, hey, there, baby, doll, dance the go go. Off a little mentally, I see it in slow mo. Hollywood, the east side, Hub City, and Frisco. Fires with the flyers, fires up in the disco. Whoa, whoa, oh, now here we go. Mira, delinquentes, bum rush the show. Aquí in Cali, where trees so sweet and these habits is feeling iry on this rug PP. And on summer nights, we use our feet, keeping in mind the danger walking on these LA streets. So what eyes that reflect is the waves in shore. Through the smoke of the green, you see burn next door. And the birds sing, but they don't tell the truth no more. And the night's hot, your just better lock your door. Days is hot, nights get hotter. Fathers better watch your daughters. Days get longer, nights get shorter. Remember the police got quotas. Watch the angles, living in California, showing nothing but love, bringing peace till the bush turns shut. From K-Bay, where the players play, it's DJ Black Digital. News, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary. You're listening to The Keith Major Show, a podcast recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major. Okay, good day, listeners, ladies and gentlemen. We are pleased to have with us Judge Yvette Ayala, and she's going to educate us today about the law and legal issues and things that we need to know in our community so judge ayala please say hello to the people good morning good afternoon hope all is well wherever time zone you're in so judge ayala uh real briefly for those that don't know you can you tell me a little bit about who you are and how you got started and how you wound up eventually being judge ayala well, um, I think it's fair to say to your listeners that you and I um, go back to our college days. We were both fortunate enough to go to the greatest undergraduate institution in the world, Hampton University. Rock the blue and white. Virginia. Okay. Um, and so uh, I had an ROTC scholarship to Hampton, and uh, that scholarship required me to fulfill an obligation on active duty or in the reserve on completion of my degree. I got an undergraduate degree in biology with an emphasis in molecular biology and graduated in 96. I uh, spent several years on active duty in the military as a medical service corps officer. I was a captain uh, when I left the medical service corps. Um, but before I did, I had the opportunity to get a master's degree in human resources management through an extension program at Fort Eustis in Virginia, Detroit State University, now Troy University in Alabama, um, finished that in 99, and uh, then ended up leaving active duty and going into the inactive ready reserve in order to go to law school in 2001. Interesting tidbit about that, I declined to take a reserve unit on September 9th of 2001 because I thought it would be too much to be in the reserve and be in law school, and then of course September 11th occurred, and that was 
truly um, a, a sentinel event that changed a lot of things, not only for the country, but certainly for me personally. I had quite a few friends who were still on active duty in the military, several friends that were pulled off of reserve duty to serve in the newly created Homeland Defense Department and um, really changed a lot of things about the, the tenor of my legal education at that time. I went to the University of Richmond for law school and the University of Richmond, is, well at that time was known as somewhat of a bastion for very conservative individuals who either did not go to William and Mary or UVA in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But September 11th changed that campus and that law school forever. The very next year, um, we had several students who were speaking that came through, had seminars on racial profiling in a post 9-11 world, had a plethora of international students that came through, and it really broadened the conversation on race and the intersection of that, education, opportunity, and certainly what goes on in the legal community. Um, from there, I went on to clerk for a circuit court judge in Virginia. I worked for a large law firm. Uh, I owned my own law firm and ultimately accepted a judicial appointment as a magistrate in the 16th Judicial District and subsequently worked for the Office of the Executive Secretary of the Supreme Court for 10 years, um, nine of those as a chief magistrate. And uh, <laughs> I have the distinction of being the only chief magistrate that served as a chief magistrate in the sense of the Judicial District in Virginia. I was the chief magistrate um, in the capital city for a while, um, in the county of Henrico, and also in the jurisdiction that covers the city of Charlottesville and eight other counties. So um, so that, uh, that 31 years that I spent in Virginia culminated in August when I relocated to San Diego. Uh, looking for opportunities to put my hand to the plow in some other legal capacities, specifically issues going on with persons of color near the borders of our country. Um, and then I stumbled into this very unique opportunity to serve as the judge for the Fort Mojave Indian Tribe, which for an attorney is probably kind of like the holy grail of practicing law. I mean, not only do you get to explore the intersections between federal and state law, because there are three different states upon which the tribal territory of the Fort Mojave Indian tribe sits, um, but there's also a sovereign nation within a nation. And so, um, very unique opportunity. I'm very excited about it. I've just begun my journey there and am um, really curious to see where that takes me next. Judge Ayala, for the for the younger listeners, um, quick question: How did you go from molecular biology to law? <laughs> well, um, you know, a lot of times when you ask people that, they come up with some really flowery answer and things like that. But mine is really much more practical. Um, I was interested when I went to um, college in genetic engineering and perhaps uh, becoming a medical doctor, becoming a, a neurosurgeon specifically. One of my sorority sisters, I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. You just had Dr. to get Alexis that Kennedy. in there. You just had to get that of in there. Of course I did. I mean, I, mean, I, I, mean I, I just had to let people know that clearly, you know, Delta's do. 
and um, one of my uh, personal heroes is Dr. Alexa Kennedy, who is a solar, but happens to be the first black woman in America to be a pediatric neurosurgeon. And um, I admire her and I thought, man, I could probably do that. But when I got off, when I went into the military um, and um, I worked in a hospital setting, as a medical service officer, we somewhat provide support to the, uh, the doctors, nurses, um, physical therapists, dentists, vets in the Army Medical Department. Well, I worked in healthcare operations, and one of my job duties at one point was to be the patient representative officer, where I fielded, you know, all of the complaints from people that were dissatisfied with services that were offered at that facility. And I realized then that that was not my calling, because the level of angst that I suffered listening to how things had gone terribly wrong, like, I don't want to do this. You, you really have to love this in order to give people your best every day and I knew that that wasn't it for me. Part of the reason I pursued the master's degree in human resources management, I've always been a person who is interested in human resources more so than others. I think at the heart of any organization is the people that make it run and um, in pursuing that master's degree, this is the part that's like, really? But it's true. Um, I had a professor in a class that was about um, law and HR, and this particular professor, for those younger listeners, they may not remember what sales up was, I know, as um, a former sailor, you certainly do, but um, this particular individual had adjudicated part of those cases, and uh, with all due respect, he was not very bright, and I thought to myself, well, if he could be a judge, I could probably be a lawyer, I mean, um, doesn't seem like it would be that complex. So I decided to try my hand at it, and it turned out to be one of the things that came very naturally to me. Um, the way that lawyers are trained to think is something that um, I really enjoyed, and so it ended up being my note. Okay, and so that gets us caught up. So question on behalf of the listeners. Is it, it just seems like when it comes to policing in America and law in America, it seems like minorities, we kind of get more than our fair share of the justice, right? So is it just me? Am I imagining that? Or how is it that different judges can look at the same law books and the same rules and the dis dispensation of the justice seems to impact one group significantly more than the other group. Am I making that up or is that a fair statement to make? No, I think that's a fair statement to make and I, I think that it's pretty naive to think that uh, there is not a connection between race, sometimes gender, sometimes sexual identity, certainly in these last 10 years here um, and the way that people are policed and rates of incarceration. We won't get into the rates of incarceration part so much, but let me preface my comments by saying that justice and fairness are not necessarily the same thing. Um, it can be fair to give um, everybody the same application of law, but justice demands that the punishment be different because they're mitigating circumstances in every case. So with that in mind, I'll say this. Uh, clearly, 
the relationship between, and I'll just talk about African Americans for a minute, the relationship between African Americans and police in the United States is a long and troubled one. Uh, you know, it was not uh, the Ku Klux Klan that was spraying African American supposes and letting dogs go on them. It was uniformed officers, particularly in areas of the South, which are still riddled with scars and the legacy of that. The answer to all of that is that even though the law is blind, the people who interpret and uh, apply it are not. And they are colored, and uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, seasoned by their experiences, their filters, their implicit and sometimes overt biases. And so you can't get away from that. That is the reason that, uh, you know, I, I think it was Dr. King that said light is the best disinfectant. That's why you have to expose those things. You can't leave that in the shadows. You have to discuss it. That's why the broader conversation about the intersection between policing and race is an important one because there has to be accountability. Now that said, it's important to remember when you call 911, the police are the ones that come. So it's, in my opinion, unfair to make blanket statements like all police are bad. That's like saying all judges are crooked or all doctors, you know, are slipshod. That's, that's not fair. And it's um, always and never are two words that rarely apply to situations. Those are very extreme. And you have bad police. You have bad citizens. You have a lot of different things going on. What I would say that I wish that more Black people would think about is um, that sometimes we put ourselves in situations where we load the gun for people, so to speak. You know, if, if you stay away from nefarious activity, you probably um, have less of a chance of being put in a situation where you even have to have a confrontation with you. Now, there are obviously other situations, the Sandra Blands of this world who are minding their business driving a car and the situation turns sideways because of cultural misperceptions and uh, maybe people even just wanting to flex for whatever reason. But I don't think that it is realistic or, or even accurate to say that there's not a huge connection between our historical racism in the United States and the way that policing occurs. Judge Ayala, great insight. We're gonna take a, uh, a small music break and then come back and we're gonna continue to ask some more questions. Ladies and gentlemen, you're here with Judge Yvette Ayala on the Keith Major Show. You're listening to The Keith Major Show, a podcast, news, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary. Recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back on The Keith Major Show. We have Judge Yvette Ayala talking to us today about law. Um, Judge Ayala, next, next question. For the younger listeners, maybe the high schoolers and the, the college age listeners, um, what advice would you give them if they are interested in law and, and uh, eventually want to apply to law schools? How do you figure out which law school is the one? Like, what should they be thinking about at this point? 
Okay, well, for high schoolers, this thing that you want to focus on is doing the best that you can to put in the work on the front end so somebody will pay you to go to their school as opposed to you to having to pay to go to their school. So you pay for it one way or the other. If you get really good grades in high school, you can get scholarships to college and then you can do what you want when you graduate. If you do it the other way around and you don't get such good grades, then you end up having to pay for college. And then you might have to take a job that maybe isn't exactly what you want after college or delay going on to advanced education, you know, a postgraduate degree, be it a master's degree, or if you decide to go to law school, getting a doctorate degree. So that's what I would say to high school students. Work hard in high school. Don't take it as a joke. I know a lot of times um, the curriculum, depending where you are and what type of school you go to, can be easier or harder. But the, the best you can do is your best. Nobody can ask you to do any more than that. So just make sure that you put your best foot forward and don't squander the opportunity to have someone else pay for your education because that's really important. Um, if you're in college, what I would say to you is don't worry so much about your major because the major isn't really the important thing. It's the GPA. So for instance, you may hear of a lot of people that go to law school being English majors or political science majors. You don't have to be any of those things in order to get into a good law school. What you have to have is a good GPA and a good LSAT score. The LSAT is difficult. It is a test that is designed for you not to be able to finish. And for people who are high achievers, cognitively, that can be difficult because you're like, how in the world am I going to take a test that I can't finish? You just have to wrap your mind around it, lean into the curve and do it. Do the best that you can on the LSAT so that you will be competitive for, uh, you know, schools that have a little bit stricter entrance guidelines. And make sure that you pick a major that you're good at. Meaning, if you really like math, be a math major. It's fine. Law schools don't care what your major was. They care what your GPA was. So if you're really good at math and you have a 3.8, you're going to do far better than if you decide to be an English major and you have a 2.6. It's going to make you far more competitive. Um, and ultimately, when you get to law school, you'll realize that your undergraduate major is really not that important because law school is a process of retraining you how to think in a different way about things. It's subtle, but it's important. And making that transition is hard. Law school is not easy. It, it, it's difficult, no matter where you go. But it's it's really a process of training you how to think a certain way and not so much dependent on what your academic skills were in terms of, you know, your, your major and all of that in your undergraduate years. I would say this to you, though, particularly if you are a person who is in an underrepresented group, um, be that a gender, a sexual, a, uh, an ethnic or racial minority, you are needed and you should go. The youngest person in my law school class at the University of Richmond when I entered in 2001 was 19 years old. The oldest person was 56. And the oldest person I think that has graduated from my alma mater, from my law school, um, was a person who had had a, a very uh, long and prominent career as a surgeon and decided once he retired in his 70s that he'd always wanted to be a lawyer and went to law school. The, the point is, if, if you have it on your mind that that might be the thing for you and that that might be your niche, that that might be the place where you can make an impact, go do it. Because the great equalizer is having people on both sides of the courtroom 
that looks like all sides of the community. It's really important. Um, in the magistrate's office where I work in Virginia, the last seven years of my time as a magistrate, we had a, a wall of photographs. My uh, magistrate used to call it the wall of shame because they didn't really want to have their pictures up there. But the pictures served a couple of purposes. One, um, I think every person who works in a professional capacity should have a professional headshot that they can you know, show to a potential employer. The other was that when people came into the office, we would ask, well, which one of these persons did you see? But it also had the additional kind of impact of showing people, look, we have all kinds of people in this office that serve in this capacity. Some are older, some are younger, some are returning, some are not, some are black, some are white, some are Filipino, some are gay, some are straight. It, it, uh, it basically negated the argument that you're mistreating me because you don't understand where I'm coming from. And it made for a much fuller experience for the people that work there, and it made the community feel a little bit more comfortable with the representation. So, to recap, if you're in high school, work hard, get good grades, so you can get into a, a good college and pick a major that you're good at. If you're in college, pick a major that you're good at, work hard, and get a good GPA and do as well as you possibly can on the outside. Now, Judge Ayala, you touched on uh, an interesting point. I want to I wanna dive a little deeper. You talked about diversity. Um, when I think about judges... I generally think about old dried up white men that drink uh, Bloody Marys. Why do they gotta be dried up though? I don't know. I'm asking <laughs> you, why do they always have to be dried up? But as a as a a black female and a judge, are there any hurdles that you have faced because you're a person of color in your profession? Or once again, is this just my eyeball not really matching what the situation is in the legal profession? No, it, it's not just you. Um, your your observation is accurate in my opinion. I, I, let me say this. I'm not just uh, an African-American. I am also Latina. I was born in Puerto Rico. My father's family is Puerto Rican and still lives in Puerto Rico. So I'm not a New Yorker. I wasn't born in New York um, and just, you know, claiming Boricua. I was born on the island of Puerto Rico in San Dulce. And uh, as a result, my mother is African-American, I should add, and she would say she's a Texan because, you know, people from Texas think that's a whole different country. So Yeah, so. like, we should um, just so, get back to Mexico, really, but okay, go ahead. Listen, that, that, stop it, uh, but I'm just saying, so um, the duality of my heritage uh, is an interesting thing in many ways, not only because visibly when people see me, they know that I am African-American, they also find it difficult to believe that I can be Latina as well. I can't tell you how many times I've said to people, I'm Puerto Rican, and they say, oh, you must be here from Panama. No, we don't all look like J-Lo. Puerto Ricans are colors as the diaspora is white. And I think a lot of times, and then people ask me somewhat ignorant things, and I say ignorant because some of them are just misinformed. They're not being um, condescending. They'll say, oh, do you have a green card? Puerto Rico is the territory of the United States. I am a U.S. citizen. I was born a U.S. citizen. I, I am not Mexican. And oh, by the way, I don't speak Mexican because there's no such language. I don't speak Puerto Rican either. I speak Spanish. So um, culturally, um, depending on the setting, 
there are <laughs> there have been many opportunities for people to make assumptions about me based on what I look like, my last name. Some people think Ayala is African, and then they see me and I happen to have braids, so they're like, "Oh, she must be African." No, I've never been to the continent of Africa, um, and and so uh, a lot of times people make assumptions. Um, I think that in the legal profession in particular, depending on where you are located, uh, sometimes people do have this perception that the quote-unquote judge is always going to be one, male, two, probably white, and three, probably, you know, above the age of 55 or 60. Well, I am none of those things, and I have worked very hard um not just in my professional life, but in my personal life, to make sure that people can never put me in a box based on what I look like. One of the greatest skills that we have as educated people, period, is to force people to get to know us and not to make assumptions. If you fall into the stereotype category, it's very easy for people to dismiss you. But if you don't, then they're forced to deal with the person that you are and you challenge their perceptions of race, gender, all those biases that come along with that, or even biases against people being young. I am 45 years old, uh, but um, I have had a a career that makes some people scratch their heads like, how do you do that? Well, the answer is quite simple, by the grace of God, truly. But beyond that, because um, I have never allowed people to make me into a stereotype. There are bastions of um, people who want to hold on to that traditional notion of, you know, the old, I'm not going to say crusty because that's unfair, but um, the older white man as being the sage statesman of the community and the only person who has the wisdom to be the arbiter of justice. I think that's ridiculous. I think that there are people in every jurisdiction, in every corner and pocket of this country to include its outlying territories and even uh, you know, some of our um, some of our assets overseas, where we have JAG officers serving and things like that, that dispel that notion every day. But again, there has to be accountability in that because people have to demand that the judicial system in their communities look like their community. It makes absolutely no sense. I mean, what what would you think if let, let's let's pick an easy one like Atlanta? How are you going to have a bench that don't have black judges in Atlanta? That would be ridiculous. Or how would you have a bench that doesn't have Latino judges in Miami? That's crazy because that's not reflective of the community. The justice system is supposed to be the final resort for people in the community to resolve disputes. And so if the people resolving the disputes have no concept of your cultural background and how maybe the interpretation of laws comes through a little bit differently because of the way people are raised or the community that they're from. That's why, that's why there are community standards. That's why you have a police department in your community and the police in Minnesota doesn't decide what's fair in, in Houston. Because every community has its own nuances and uh, different types of traditions, for lack of a better way of saying that. So, um, yes. People still do have this perception that, you know, the old white man is, is the person that should be the judge and so forth. But, uh, you know, I, I, I beg to differ. Uh, there are a lot of us out here that not only have the education, the experience, but also 
um, the ability to to listen. Um, because a lot of what happens in court really is listening to people and hearing the stories behind the stories. The law is the same for everyone, but the application of the punishment or the fine or the accountability is different based on the testimony. I'll give you a classic example. Um, this is an example from law school. Two people shoplift. Person runs out of the store with a shirt in their hand. Second person runs out of the store with a shirt in their hand. Okay, they're both shoplifting. One of them ran out of the store with a shirt in their hand because they wanted to steal a shirt so they could wear it to the club. The other one ran out of the store with a shirt in their hand because they saw their child run out of the store into the street and forgot they had the shirt in their hand. Should the punishment be the same? Of course not. The law is the same for both. And they will both be punished, but the punishment is tailored to the offender. The law fits everyone. And that's the distinction. That's, that's the difference between uh, justice and fairness. So it's not just an old white man that can decide that. In fact, I will argue that there are a lot of people who are from historically disenfranchised communities that are much better situated to understand the nuances of some of those situations than maybe an old white man who, if you follow that stereotype, has lived a life of privilege and doesn't necessarily understand what it's like, you know, for somebody to steal milk and pampers because they don't have money. Great insight from Judge Yvette Ayala. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take another music break and we're going to come back with more questions for more insight. Judge Ayala, thanks for being on the show. We'll see you again in like a couple of minutes. We'll be right back. You're on the Keith Major Show. No, you. You're listening to the Keith Major Show, a podcast, news, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary, recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major. Ladies okay. and gentlemen, we're back on the Keith Major Show. We're here with Judge Yvette Ayala. And she's educating us on the law. Judge Ayala, I got a question for you. You may or may not be able to answer this. You you tell me. I'm not I'm won't be upset about it either way. When it okay. comes to the Supreme Court, right now with this president, it seems like there is a tendency to pick a certain type of judge for the court. And it seems like those certain type of judges will have not necessarily the best impact when it comes to law and justice in America for communities of color. So what is your perception, if you're able to give it to me, of the direction that the Supreme Court is headed right now? I think that persons affiliated with political parties follow the basic uh, ideals, goals of those political parties. Our current president happens to be a Republican, and so he espouses very Republican views in selecting judges, not just in the Supreme Court, but all over the country that require input from the federal level. Um, he is exercising his purview to appoint people who are of a similar mentality that he is in aligned with his party's values. I would expect nothing different if it was a, a, a Democratic president or an independent president. That is what presidents tend to do. How that affects communities um, is something that um, 
in some cases is very predictable and in others sometimes switches up you know supreme court justices are people sometimes they change their minds about things and they don't respond in exactly think they will but by and large the president is in my opinion doing what all presidents do he's selecting people that he thinks will go the way that his party would like them to go on on big issues and um if people are concerned about the direction of the court then they should exercise their right to vote okay um i got some personal questions for you judge ayala um oh lord no, no, no. These, these are easy. These are easy. What should okay, I have okay. asked you that I didn't ask you because I didn't know enough to ask? I think you should have asked me whether or not I think there is a difference in um, the way that um, law school applications um are treated from minority communities. And secondarily, and, and this is a big one, I think you should have asked me what types of career opportunities exist or what disparities there are between female lawyers and male lawyers. Now, and, since- and I'll elaborate a little bit on the second one. Okay. I'll tell you why. This is an issue that's very near and dear to my heart. Disproportionately, women drop out of the legal profession before they make partners um, more often than men do. And it's because they make decisions to have families and children. And that should not be so. There is a large movement within the legal community to try and stem that tide because what ends up happening is, okay, if you're the average, well, I won't say average, but if you're a student that goes you know, straight from high school to college, then to law school, you're probably in your mid to late 20s when you graduate okay well mid to late 20s um early 30s maybe even mid 30s is when a lot of people are thinking about getting married starting a family particularly if you're a woman um you know you don't really want to wait until you're in your 40s to start having children um so um, a lot of women have to make a choice between career opportunities and having children my daughter was 18 months old when i started law school and for that reason, I had to be very focused. Um, I had to be very, um, I had to treat it like a job. Uh, I came home uh, to her father and her every day, but I commuted to go to law school. I commuted from Newport News and Virginia to Richmond, which is about 70 miles one way um, every day. So I treated it like a job. When I went to school, I was there, I stayed, I did my homework there, and then I came home and then I was a wife and a mother. Um, not so easy when you're in the career and you decide to get married and then have kids and there's a lot of pressure from the firm or from you know the office in which you work say if you work for the attorney general or something like that to produce it's really something that people need to be cognizant of because it's it's a big deal and there needs to be more women at those higher levels so that people can see that representation because it's important um it is important Okay, next question. If you had $100 billion to spend on anything, <laughs> what would you spend it on? I would, fix it on, I would spend it on creating a program for um, young people to volunteer 
in some capacity to serve their country for two years after high school. Doesn't matter what, whether it is, uh, and volunteer is not uh, necessarily a good word because they could be paid, um, they could be paid for it, but the point of the program would not be for them to make a lot of money. It would be for them to do something that has nothing to do with them, that serves others, and that gives them a sense of why it is important for them to do something for their country. You and I are part of a very small population of Americans who can uh, say with distinction that we serve and wore this nation's colors. That is, um, in my opinion, a travesty. I think every American should feel a sense of duty and should feel what it feels like to serve their country in some way. Peace Corps, you know, uh, volunteer with Border Patrol, uh, do something. Do something for two years that helps you to appreciate the freedoms that we enjoy and maybe um, get some people to stop scowling at young people when they say they want to enter the service. I, I find that to be a very disturbing trend where people are trying to discourage young folks from, from going into the military. I mean, you know, freedom ain't free. Somebody, somebody right now is cold and hungry, tired, maybe even a little scared standing a post somewhere very close to foreign soil or even on it so that you and I can express our opinions freely on this podcast. And I think that, you know, with most of the World War II veterans being gone now and even Vietnam veterans becoming a much smaller percentage of the population just by attrition, uh, that people are forgetting the value of public service. I, I think it's really important. I think before whatever generation we're on now, I know we were Generation X, but I think we're on Z or something like that. Um, <laughs> whatever is beyond the millennials, uh, they really need to have a sense of, of country. They really need to have some pride in their nation. I think that would go a long way to closing the gap between people's political ideology if they could see that as a common ground, not nationalism, patriotism. There's a difference. Okay, and Judge Ayala, when you do interviews like these, there's a tendency because the people I interview do great things, and you've obviously done a lot, as we can tell, in the past uh, hour or so. Um, but sometimes people get intimidated because you think certain people are like just way out there and have done things that you can't possibly achieve. But you and I both know that's not really the case. Great people are still just regular people. So... With that said, what is it that you are not very good at? Math. And and cutting anything in a straight line. Like, if I don't have, like, a paper cutter, it's a wrap. Um, and math is just one of those things. You know, so I, I told you I wanted to go to medical school. And I realized when, <laughs> when I was at Hampton, I took a class called, uh, well, I started to take a class called Differential Equations. They started talking about imaginary numbers. Did you I know? was like, listen, I don't even get the real numbers. Let's not talk about imaginary numbers. You can crazy. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I, have, I got a calculator on my phone. I got a calculator on my purse. Yeah. Did you have Dr. Marable <laughs> for Differential Equations? Yes, I did. Oh, you know, and I dropped that joke like a potato as soon as I could. You know, I took that That's class awesome. and Doctor Marable was a beast. Yes, he that, was. He was scary. 
That's funny. He was actually a nuclear engineer. Did you realize that? No, I didn't. But you know what? That doesn't surprise me. Because he almost seemed irritated that people did not understand what was happening. I was like, sir, I am struggling. What do you mean, imaginary numbers? Now, here's the irony. And this is this is how life comes full circle, right? So, I graduated from Hampton in 1996. Now, as you know, and as anyone who has had the privilege of uh, rocking the blue and white known, every class has a name at Hampton University. Indeed My class was Quint- that is correct. My class was Quintessence 2. My daughter is Quintessence 11. They're and up, it's crazy. Up to 11? She, yes. What's even crazier is one of my classmates was her psychology professor her first year of college. Crazy. They're, they're up and to she has some of the same 11? professors that I have. Like, uh, I was Quintessence <laughs> 1. I feel old. Your daughter's oh, in Quintessence yes. 11? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, we're old. Well, we're older. We're better. That's 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 my story, and I'm sticking to it. Jayala, for the listeners, where can the listeners hear you, see you, um, read your insight? Are you on Instagram, Twitter? What, what are you putting out? Because people need to hear your knowledge and hear your views. So, so we can be better citizens and caretakers. So so where can the people catch you? Where can they see you? Well, what I will say is because um, I am um, a judge for a specific jurisdiction, I do not make a lot of comments. I do have a, a Facebook page, but I don't make a lot of comments, political or otherwise, on that page. If people want to reach me or they want to have the opportunity to have these kind of more robust discussions about my thoughts and um, my impressions of the judicial system or uh, how law impacts the community at large, uh, they can contact me via email at yaayala, that's Y-A-A-Y-A-L-A, at gmail.com. And um, I would be happy to speak uh, in a more controlled setting um, or... Um, I do speak to groups from time to time, uh, but I don't really publish a lot of information. In- okay, so you're saying I can look forward to you to being the guest speaker at either a Delta Founders <laughs> Day or an Omega Founders Day? Is that what I'm hearing? I mean, you know what? When people invite me, I usually come. If it has anything to do with Delta Syndicate Authority Incorporated, I'm there. And, you know, gotta love gotta love our brothers. So I just love Susan Coleman too. So I would be more than glad um, to entertain such an invitation. Okay, you know me. You know I'm gonna get on the phone. I, I do I do know you. <laughs> and you check this out. You so should not have I told said you, that. But check this out. I told you I'm forty five, right? So I have been to thirty seven of fifty states. Hawaii is not one of them since since Okay, remember, put that out there. remember you said that I was, I, will I, I happen to know a lady that's in the Hawaii alumni chapter that might give you a call uh, to, you to be the guest speaker. <laughs> okay. um, so okay. I will definitely do what I can to make that happen. But Judge Ayala, I thank okay. you so much for being on the Keith Major Show. Um, as soon as I get this done, it is I, my great pleasure, my friend. I will send you a link. Um, I really appreciate it. 
It's yaayala at gmail.com. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. I will uh, also, when I, I'll post notes uh, when I post the show, and people can either reach out directly to you or they can go through the show, and then I will connect you. Um, but I appreciate you, man. Please do what you do. We need you. We need more people like you. Continue to inspire the young people. Good luck to your daughter at the greatest undergraduate institution of all time is God, country, and then Hampton. Um, so good luck to her. <laughs> See, why are you laughing, ma'am? These are not jokes. These are not jokes. No, these, are, these, are, these are laughs of agreement. These are laughs of agreement. I totally agree. So good luck to her in Quintessence 11. Who knew? 11. Oh, my God. Um, And, uh, you know, continue blessings to her and to you. And happy belated Thanksgiving. And, ma'am, I thank you so much for calling into the show. Judge Yvette Ayala, ma'am, any last statements you would like to give to the listeners? Uh, Just to continue to keep your eyes on the prize. The judicial system is our responsibility as citizens. Hold your local officials accountable. If your judges are elected, go to the ballot box. If they're appointed, go to the council meeting. Make sure that you participate in the process because it's like anything else. If you don't participate, you have no right to complain about what you get. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Judge Yvette Ayala. Black robe, black pump, white pearl. I love it. Judge Ayala. Thank you so much for participating on the Keith Major Show. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. It's a wrap. Thanks for listening in to the Keith Major Show. Um, Please subscribe to the RSS feed. Leave me comments. You can find me on Instagram at iPhone Q. I'm also on Instagram as at DJ Black Digital 808. I'm Keith Major on Facebook. Let's connect. Let's interact. Um, let's get some questions answered. Next show, I think I am going to devote to an article that I read on LinkedIn that was not too kind to Black Marine Corps officers. And as a former Black Marine Corps officer, I took exception to this article and I reached out to the author. And uh, we had a little bit of back and forth about it, but I think it's pertinent, um, especially with the number of people that I know that are still wearing the uniform and serving. So we're going to talk about that article in the next episode. And oh, by the way, the sea chickens pulled it out, 37-30. They beat the Vikings. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Keith Major Show, and I will see you next time.